0: Welcome to Jurassic Park, a.k.a. The Meaning of the Movie, our podcast about what matters most when it comes to the film. I'm your host, Rob Stinnett, and I'm here today with my co-host, Andrew Harmon. What's up, guys? Andrew, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing great. Let's talk about Jurassic Park, buddy. And John Boland, you ready for this?
1: Hey, guys, I couldn't be more ready for this podcast today.
0: I feel like this is where you're going to shine. Like, this is
2: the podcast you were made for, John. This is the John Bolin hour when it comes to uh, enthusiasm. And... I am pumped. Before we jump into it, I just a quick reminder to jump over and subscribe uh, if you want to get a notification each time we release a new episode. We drop an episode about once every two weeks. Uh, We also are starting something new today where we would love to hear from you directly. We would love to hear what you're thinking about the podcast. We would love to hear whether you think our takes are in line or if, uh, if you've got a new hot take about something that we could even read it on our next episode. Uh, so we have an email address that you all can reach out to us directly in the show notes.
0: Yeah, here's the thing. We know you're listening and you're thinking like, oh man, that was a great point. Or much more often you're listening like, you guys are off, you're wrong. This is why you're wrong. And so we want to hear from it. So we have the email address. Just shoot us an email. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you love. Tell us what you hate. We want to hear from you. Yeah, check that out in the show notes. Okay, let's get right into it. We're going to talk today about Jurassic Park, the 1993 Steven Spielberg blockbuster spectacular. We're talking about blockbusters in this season because we're in the summer blockbuster season. And this is another all-timer. But before we get into Jurassic Park, I have one core question that I think will frame our whole discussion around this film. And that question is this. Why are so many dinosaur movies bad?
1: Well, I can tell you the reason why most dinosaur movies are bad is because they weren't written by Michael Crichton. (laughs) (laughs) That's why. The reason Jurassic Park, I think, this is part of my argument for this, the reason Jurassic Park holds up so well was the incredible combination of talent on this picture. Obviously, Steven Spielberg, I'm a huge fanboy, but uh, Michael Crichton, as far as... Books and novels. He's probably my all time uh, favorite writer. I remember hearing the news of his passing a few years ago, thinking, oh man, no more Michael Crichton books. Jurassic Park, I think, was his, like the pinnacle of his writing. He just nails it. He's so amazing at, at story structure and the idea of what he did with the story. And then you combine that with the writer. Who is the, who's the writer of this, of Jurassic Park? David Kep. So David Kep as a writer and then Spielberg, those forces combined to make this what it is. So many other filmmakers are just trying to sort of do the monster in the house formula with a dinosaur invading our world or a King Kong invading our world, whatever. And it falls short, whereas this was so much more complicated and nuanced. and And just from a story structure perspective, I thought the combination of the talent made this movie stand out.
0: You know, I wasn't expecting to talk about Crichton so early, but I think his name is really important to bring up early on. He also made this other movie in the 70s, which has since become an HBO show. I think 70s, early 80s called Westworld, where it's actually like people who go to a Western saloon town. I remember seeing it as a kid with my grandma and they're going into this old like Western saloons and that sort of stuff and talking to cowboys. Only like at one moment, the cowboys actually get angry and get upset and start, like, shooting the people who've come to the theme park. And it's kind of like the, the same premise of Jurassic Park, only with cowboys. And so that was very much Crichton. And so his kind of dream theme park stuff meets the, like, DNA stuff meets Spielberg magic is kind of the cocktail that makes this movie so good. But I'm mostly interested, first of all, of, like, why are dinosaur movies bad? Like, dinosaur movies should be good. Dinosaurs are one of the most amazing creatures to ever walk the Earth. But so many of the movies are bad. Why do you think that is, Andrew?
2: Well, when you say dinosaur movies are bad, like which ones are you talking about? Because like I think like Jurassic Park, I'm like, oh, that movie is great. And it's like the pinnacle of d- dinosaur movies. So which ones are you saying are like train wrecks?
0: Well, I made a list. First of all, do you want to hear my list of great dinosaur movies? Yes. I didn't
2: think we would quite get to the phrase, do you want to hear my list this early in the podcast? But of course,
0: let's go. I'm coming out (laughs) hot early on. Here's my list of great dinosaur movies. Jurassic Park. That's it. (laughs) So do you have a list of
1: bad dinosaur movies, Rob?
0: I do. I have a list of bad dinosaur movies. And here we go. Land of the Lost. Journey to the Center of the Earth, Land Before Time, which isn't bad, but it's not great. It's not like cool dinosaurs, It's just like dinosaurs with like feelings, <laughs> I don't know.
2: You don't want your dinosaurs to have feelings? Like, no! Get these, <laughs> get these dinosaurs with feelings out of here.
0: The Good Dinosaur which is like the slowest Pixar movie ever made. That movie is wild, by the way. And when you know that it was made by Pixar, just, it's so crazy. It's like even Pixar messed up dinosaur <laughs> movies. Then you get into deeper cuts. There's a movie called The Dinosaur Project. There's a movie called Dinosaur Island. And even Jurassic Park 2 and 3, even Jurassic Park 2 is based off a Michael Crichton novel. It's called The Lost World. But very, very loosely. like Very loosely, very badly, falls apart.
1: I might agree with your premise there, Rob, about bad dinosaur movies. But I will say there are some good dragon movies, which aren't quite dinosaur movies. Is that, would you put them in the same category or not? No, No. because I
2: would say a dragon movie is like almost always a fantasy movie. Like it switches genre completely. And I think the genre question is because John, you touched on this a little bit. Dinosaur movies have a hard time finding their zone. And I feel like a lot of dinosaur movies fall into the camp of basically being like monster movies. Um, I think a lot of the later Jurassic series kind of have more in common with like a Sharknado In the genre that they are.
1: Sharknado. Now there is an Oscar winner.
2: Right. But like you said, John, of like a monster in in the house, it's like a monster has been unleashed. And what do we do about it? And the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park don't get loose until it's a two hour movie and they don't get loose until after an hour in. Right. And I feel like this movie has much more in common with like the perfect storm or like natural disaster movies than it does with a monster movie. And I think that's kind of interesting to unpack. I feel like this movie is far more concerned with the power of nature and the power of the world and how small man is within that and how we shouldn't mess with that versus the idea of like a big T-Rex is going to come chomp on you. And there are moments of fun T-Rex going to come chomp on you action, but the the genre feels like it's not a monster movie and that helps it a ton.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I, I think one thing that, that Jurassic Park does so well is it's like a masterclass in plot and pacing and structure. Like all those pieces fit so well together. To your point, Andrew, the monsters don't get loose till halfway through, but that's what you're waiting for as a, as a viewer is you know it's coming, you know it's going to happen, and yet you're not bored for that first hour as you're waiting for that action to begin, you're totally engaged in both the wonder, the awe and the science of this whole story. I mean, it's it's fantastic.
0: You know, I've gone into every Jurassic Park sequel kind of wanting to feel like I did in this movie. I actually like Jurassic World. I think it's pretty good. I think it's entertaining, but it doesn't hold a candle to the magic of this movie, like to the original. And I've really thought like what? Like we talked about Terminator 2 a couple of weeks ago when we talked about how it was such a giant leap from Terminator one. And like, it was the master sequel and Jurassic park. It's like the opposite. It's like standing on a mountain and everything else is kind of in a valley below it. And I've thought a lot about like, why is this movie so perfect and nothing can hold a candle to it. And I actually think I have the final answer to that, but I'm going to save that answer. I'm going to save that answer for my meaning of the movie, because I've, I've been thinking about this for a week. So listen to the end of the podcast for that answer. But before what, we move is this, on, like a
2: BuzzFeed article
0: <laughs> suddenly, Rob, you're like, here's my list of reasons. And number 10 is going to amaze you. It is. I don't I don't want to, like, give away my whole hand and then have you check out. I think that's going to be a great episode. How do you guys feel about the new movie coming out? Are you guys excited about it? Or it's called Jurassic World Dominion. Are you guys like pumped? Or are you like, eh, how are you feeling about it? I actually think that it
2: maybe has the legs to be the strongest of the, like, Jurassic World trilogy. Um, I agree. I think the first one is kind of fun, Jurassic World, where, like, the park is open. I think, uh, what's the second one called? Jurassic World. It's like
0: Jurassic World Falls. Oh, Jurassic yeah. World. Jurassic World
2: Insurrection. <laughs> uh, what? Apocalypse. I, 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 I can't even remember what the name is.
0: Jurassic World Salvation.
2: Regardless, I think I think it's pretty train wrecky. It's, like, almost full-on monster movie and just doesn't really work at all but this is my big take rob is saving his big take for the end i'll just launch with mine from the beginning and i think that what makes jurassic park so good is it spends so much of its time in the wonder of what if dinosaurs were around right what if we could see them and that first hour and even huge parts of the second hour are spent with like just experiencing like What if you could feed a dinosaur or like it's packed with the wonder of nature and creation. And once you've experienced that wonder, it's a a little difficult to up the ante on that and have that wonder again. Um, And so I think you kind of have to fall into this. How do we up the ante and we get bigger dinosaurs, but Dominion is doing something where the dinosaurs are now inhabiting our world and have made the whole world, their natural environment. And it, Almost in like a war for the planet of the apes kind of style. I think we're going to get into maybe this idea of like the wonder of what does it mean to like live communally. And there could be a new version of this discovery in this new one. So I'm excited that maybe they could tap into that wonder again. I
0: feel about Jurassic Park sequels the way that I feel when I go into Vegas. Which is every time. Which is like, I know I lost everything last time, but this time it's gonna be great. <laughs> this time it's gonna work, and I'm with you, dude. I'm so excited about this new sequel, and I just want it to like wash
1: over me, and I want to love it. But but, the, but wait, the problem the problem with every sequel is that. It's just like flying home from Vegas after the sequel. <laughs> it's just <laughs> disappointment and frustration, and I should have known better. Kind of comes into it, you know. The, I think my, one of my biggest problems with the Chris Pratt sequels have been. It seems like it's turned into kind of almost like a buddy film where it's like Chris and his pets. The Raptors have become the friend, and I feel like part of the magic of the first movie was this like awe of. To your point, Andrew, don't mess with nature. It's like this powerful force, which I think was so brilliant in Jurassic Park. You have this oncoming storm, which is symbolic of the storm they're about to walk into, which is symbolic of you can't contain or control nature, whether it's the fence coming down or T-Rex picking up the car or whatever it is. Like I feel like the sequels have sort of taken that and said, well, but we can contain this little piece and be our pet, essentially. So I'll be curious to see how they finish that storyline. So I
0: want to get right into this movie itself now, Jurassic Park. How did you feel watching this movie,
1: John? So I can I, I tell you, I was so excited. Actually, I started watching the movie. I was tra- traveling yesterday and I, I I downloaded it on my phone and I was watching it on this on a little road trip. And then I stopped because I thought I can't do it justice on a little phone. I've got to watch it on a bigger screen with good sound and force my kids to watch it with me. <laughs> and of course, my kids, I just kind of threw shade at Chris Pratt and the new series. But my daughter course, was throwing major shade at anything that's made before 2015. Like it, that's, that's like, it, it might as well be a black and white movie. Like she said, Dad, it's going to be horrible. I cannot, I can't even believe I'm, I have to watch an old fashioned movie. You know, um, it's basically one of the, one of the top. Like the are the there
0: to- claymation dinosaurs we're about to watch? Like, what is this?
1: Seriously? She's like 1993. Like, what would that even be that? So, um, well the, the opening
2: po- like universal logo when I was watching it yesterday and that came up, I was like, this looks super dated. Like it did. It, it felt a little Casablanca-y to me when that like old school universal animation came up.
1: Well, I'm telling you, though, yesterday we watched it and I was like a kid in a candy store. I was so excited to watch Jurassic Park. And when the soundtrack, I mean. Can we talk about John Williams and the soundtrack of Jurassic Park? And there's so many great composers. But to me, he is like the greatest of all time when it comes to movie composers. And that specific theme, whenever I hear it, it just does something. It's just so amazing.
0: In fact, that theme kind of plays in my head when I'm about to do something magical. Like when I'm walking into Disneyland, like that's the theme in the back of my mind. When I'm walking into the Broncos game, like I'm like playing the Jurassic Park theme. (laughs) Into the DMV draft. No, (laughs) no, no. no. It's just like, like
1: (laughs) yeah,
0: just like that is the theme of like, oh, something magical is about to happen. That is the best theme.
1: And boy, does it happen.
2: And I think that's the key that you guys just kind of landed on there with, I think John Williams and, and Spielberg really knew that they were making something different here. They weren't making a monster movie, right? The The theme for Jurassic Park is magical wonder, which is not what you would expect for a movie that kind of bills itself as like a monster slasher. I remember as a kid, I heard the Jurassic Park theme and I was a kid and hadn't seen Jurassic Park yet. I was too young and it was too scary. But I remember hearing the theme somewhere and being like, how is that the Jurassic Park theme? Like the Jurassic Park theme. Theme, she'd be like the Jaws theme. It should be right. like, there's dinosaurs. And it's not, it's totally packed in this wonder. The thing I thought while I was watching it and hearing that theme, and it's probably the John Williams tieover, but I thought, you know, this feels a lot like watching the first Harry Potter movie. In a way, and John Williams did the score for both. Yeah. in the same yeah. way that that first Harry Potter movie, the first half of it is just these little kids getting to see all the wonder that is the wizarding world and all of this magic. And there's a wand shop, and there's fun little goblins, and there's spells, and that's what the first hour of Jurassic Park is. Is it's these grown adults, but like in a scientific candy store, and they're just allowing the wonder of it to wash over them. And so it really is a wholly different kind of movie than I think any of the other movies that came after
0: it. I mean, I remember being in the theater in 1993. I saw it in a drive-in theater. And when that dinosaur, that brontosaurus comes on and Sam Neill and Jeff Goldblum, everyone's just like wowing at the dinosaur. That's what was happening in the theater. It was like, i I don't even think I'd seen a trailer for it or anything else like that. I saw that dinosaur walk on the first time and I was like, oh, they actually cloned dinosaurs. Like, that's what it is. It felt like so real and something like you had never seen before in movies. It's in my top probably three or four most breathtaking moments that I physically remember watching in a movie before.
1: Well, fifth grade, when I was in fifth grade, I remember going to the Natural History Museum with my classmates. We lived in Omaha, Nebraska. We drove to Lincoln to go to the Natural History Museum. And there were two exhibits that not just me, but I think most fifth graders were in awe of. And those two exhibits were the dinosaur T-Rex bones put together into this massive skeleton. And then the other one was the planetarium. You'd like lay back and you see the planetarium and you see the stars. So I feel like as kids, there's this sense of like mystery and awe of the things we can't quite understand, which is the era of the dinosaurs, which seems bigger and crazy and just out of this world. And then of course space. And so the two moments for me, Rob, you described seeing the dinosaur. One was seeing that, what's the spaceship at the beginning of the first Star Wars that comes, comes across the oh, screen? the, the Star, Star Destroyer. Destroyer. <laughs> when that Star Destroyer comes, I'm sitting in the theater as a kid and I heard the soundtrack and that Star Destroyer came onto the screen. And I just thought, where am I? Like, I am finally in the place that I dreamed, the, the place that I only could imagine. Same thing happened when those dinosaurs came across the field and that John Williams score To me, it's not a coincidence that the John Williams score in both those movies, Star Wars and Jurassic Park, and how amazing both of those scores are to lift you to this place that's just other. And again, yesterday watching with the kids, I was literally shaking my kids saying, here come the dinosaurs. Can you believe this? And they're like, yeah, dad. <laughs> they literally, I like, they look at my wife like, I think dad's lost his marbles. Like it's it's over. Dad's just, he's crazy. But did they like it? it? Did they feel the it? Were they feeling the dinosaurs?
0: They, they, they loved it. They got they swept in, didn't they? You
1: can't. They got swept in. It stands up. It stands up 20 years, 30 years later. It still stands up.
2: It's fascinating to me how much the the CG and the the mix between the like live animatronic puppets and the, and the CG how much it does hold up. I do think that opening shot of the brontosaurus is maybe one of the ones that holds up the least, which is unfortunate because of the way that like they had to light it in like the bright sunlight, but so much of the movie like the raptors in the kitchen at the end, like I buy it. For yeah. The the T-Rex in the rain, that that whole sequence, like you're not sitting there thinking like this is fake. And this is what 30 almost 30 years ago came out what, 94? 93. 93. 93. So we're looking at 29 years ago. This is incredible. I think watching the CG in this still just like makes you feel like a little kid, which is what we keep getting back to here is how sort of the imagination of the whole thing washes over you. Uh, was there a specific scene, John, that for you was like, this is super meaningful?
1: As a dad, that scene was when Sam Neill gets in the tree with the two kids out of the reach of the T-Rex and you see that change in his character. It's so interesting what people are afraid of. This goes into, again, the meaning of this movie for me, which is a lot about fear. And so you see Grant's fear of kids, which is ironic because he's a paleontologist. So he's not afraid of the dinosaurs. In fact, he's enthralled with these dinosaurs, but he's scared to death of kids. In fact, he's running around from one corridor door to the other trying to escape from where the kids are. And this is the moment where he flip-flops and realizes that if we can look past our fear that there's something something really incredible there. And then that's where he learns to embrace these kids and even takes out his little claw, his raptor claw that he'd been carrying around with him. And he throws it off the tree as almost like, an, like a way of saying that that old me is gone. I've got to figure out how to embrace this new me, which is not just real living dinosaurs, but also real living kids right there with me. So that to me was a really pivotal, meaningful moment in that character's life, which Spoke to me personally. I think that's such
0: a great point. I actually want to jump in for my most meaningful, which is the scene right before it, which is actually when the T-Rex first appears and you see that water cup and then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. it like shakes a little bit. It's so iconic. And every from that moment, the water cup shakes until pretty much there in the tree. That whole sequence is so incredible the kids are like shining the flashlights and like turn them off and the lawyer like runs the outhouse and the outhouse gets ripped up and you know, i'm like, like,
1: I'm grabbing my kids saying turn off the
0: light turn off the light you idiot just push the button and the reason i say that's the most meaningful is because we're talking about the wonder and the good feels and andrew you're like i didn't think that's what jurassic park was as a kid you know but there is also a frightening sense of this and it that scene is frightening of just like okay you have messed with nature and now nature wants to come out after you. I do think that's a big part of the meaning of the movie, Andrew. I think you're totally right. And they're messing with a Force. And it takes an hour to get to this moment. Like, we've waited and waited. And so it's like, okay, you've waited so long. We've gone on a tour. We've done all this other stuff. Can you actually make this scary? But once they're ready to go, it is just frightening. And when that car, like, flips over in the mud and is, like, sinking into the mud and the dinosaur stepping on it, just that whole set piece is... One of my all-time favorites. There's nothing quite like it before or since.
2: It is awesome. Did any of you this time through think that Sam Neill and Jeff Goldblum waited a little long, though, to help the kids? <laughs> I like the kids get attacked for a really long time, and the two adults are like, oh, that's... That's terrible. They're just hanging out in the other car. I know it's a T-Rex, but I think this time around, I kind of expected them to help a little sooner. Well,
1: and I was thinking to myself, now, how did these kids get left alone in an Explorer? How did the kids get left alone in the middle of a dinosaur park?
2: But On the flip side of that, though, Rob, did you have, like, a least meaningful scene? Was there something in the movie that you were like, nope, we don't need this?
0: So I need to talk about the kids. You said, (laughs) would Jeff Goldblum and Sam Neill go and rescue them? And... I'd be like, ah, I'm not in a hurry to rescue those kids because pretty much (laughs) everything the kids do in the movie, I'm annoyed with. (laughs) I'm just like, they're all time annoying kids in any film. Like we talked about John Connor last week and Andrew, you're like, ah, his performance wasn't quite perfect and that sort of stuff. And I'm like, that's fine. But these kids are kind of a hot mess as far as performance, the whole movie all the way through. And pretty much every scene they're in is a little worse because of them. And so, I, so I'm kind of out on these kids. I'm sure they're great. I'm sure their parents love them. I think they're really nice people and like do lots of philanthropy, but I don't think it's good performances
1: that they wow. get. Wow. Rob is becoming Andrew in this episode. Uh, yeah.
2: So. You are you are coming for these kids like John just came for me. Yeah. Um, Okay, so that's fascinating because I think they're kind of precocious but I don't kind of have that same reaction. I think it's maybe a little bit 90s. There's a little bit of the home alone you know, hands on the cheek scream action in some of these moments, especially with the girl. But what is it specifically for you or like a specific scene in the movie where you're so eye-rolly that it makes it worse? Because like watching the T-Rex show up, it's just a scene with the kids. It's one of the most iconic scenes in the
1: movie. I definitely can see where the boy is a little overly earnest for sure. And the girl is like whiny and afraid of everything. Can they, are these meat eaters? You know, kind of a thing.
0: She makes faces the whole time. Like her face is just like a meme. The whole, she's like, oh, like you can't see it. This is a podcast, but like go and Google like Jurassic park, screamy girl face. And she's making that face through 90% of the movie. And the kid is just like, he's like in his armpit. Like, Hey, Dr. Grant, and he's got like a book and it's just like, I was like, are they meant to be annoying? Is that what they're trying to do? The only scene they're exempt, I would say, what scene are they annoying in? All scenes. Except for the <laughs> like the except for the kitchen scene. The kitchen scene is great where the raptors are coming after them and they're in the kitchen and freaking out. And I think that scene is why they're a cast because they're really good at freaking out. But the moment when she's in the computer system and she's like hacking it through and she's like, the Celtic system, I know this. And it's just like figuring it out like Nedry coded it who's like this master like coder and this little girl is like figuring it all the way out I was just like you know what I'm out this is annoying this is the least meaningful scene by far to me
2: okay so I fully agree with that of the little girl like saving the day by being a coder I don't think that's her fault though I think one that's insane that they gave her that role in the screenplay and this is something that I guess happens like as we get like further and further in technology and we realize how like things are silly but her like hacking into that computer and the way they visualize it with like the little like roadmap and like the family tree of locations and she's like maybe it's this folder this is not what any computer system looked like at any point in time ever it's so goofy looking like what's on the screen is so goofy
0: Yeah, you're talking about the lighting on the brontosaurus and that's like slightly off But when you get into that computer system, you're like, okay, we're clearly in this is before Windows 95. Like this is like the dark ages of computers. And
2: like the bonkers thing is everything else before that moment with that girl is they're talking about like lines of code and like they're actually like typing code. You have the little cursor and there's like little lines and they're sitting there typing. And then when it comes to her, like, quote unquote, like hacking and trying to figure out how to open up the door, she's got like a mouse and it's just like clicking on little like buttons on the screen it's like did someone else produce this scene
0: yeah like samuel jackson smoking a cigarette all the way to the filter like typing code and he can't figure it out. But this girl's like, oh, it's in this folder. And it's this pretty little folder that's like all the locks for doors park online. And I was like, <laughs> he couldn't find this. Anyway, I think I think everything else was with the kids culminated in that moment with me. And I just turn off my TV. I was like, you know what? We're not doing this podcast. This is a horrible
1: decision. <laughs> These kids are horrible. But can we talk about the rest of the cast for just a minute? So okay, sure. the kids. We'll go ahead and scratch the kids off the list of meaningful characters. But um, what about the rest of the cast? You mentioned Samuel Jackson. I thought his role was so fun. As a little side note, Jeff Goldblum. I mean, what was he? Was he not just watching it? I thought he had a bigger role in the movie than he did. In my mind, he had a much bigger, and he has, a course, in subsequent films. But in that movie, he was really just a bit player in in the movie. But he was so fun. To listen I mean, he to, gets to third watch. billing, that's so. It's interesting because he didn't really. He wasn't in that many. That much of it. He doesn't so, do
2: that much once they throw him into the outhouse and he like gets his l- l- leg jumped on.
0: I actually have a Jeff Goldblum question, which is: Is Jeff Goldblum the best character actor of all time? Like, is he the best? <laughs> like, I'm watching any movie, and this movie, he's the most memorable. Like every memorable line from this movie. I can quote like off the top of my head of like, you know, a a life finds a way. And he has this like stuttery thing. And then he says something really profound and he talks about chaos theory. And he's just like every moment in this movie. He is the most memorable character by far in this movie. And that's saying a lot in a movie with a great cast.
2: I don't know if Jeff Goldblum is the best character actor ever, but he's certainly the best Jeff Goldblum ever. (laughs) <laughs> like Jeff Goldblum is so Jeff Goldblum-y. I mean I, I, he's he has his thing, the thing that he does is so like enjoyable and so silly. You just want to like be at a party with this guy and listen to him talk about things. He chooses the scenery in a way no one else does in a way that's so like kind of odd and off-kilter. He's just so much fun. So, yeah. yeah. Any movie
0: I'm watching he shows up, he takes. I'm watching Independence Day, there's aliens, the White House is blowing up. All of a sudden Jeff Goldblum shows up. And he just takes over that movie. Even the latest Thor, like Thor Ragnarok, you're watching that, and it's kind of going along. It's got Chris Hemsworth, it's got Loki, it's got all the different stuff. Jeff Goldblum shows up, and he takes over the movie. I'm like, man, that guy just is a presence. He is a force in any film that he's in. Yeah, you want to talk about other cast, John?
1: No, well, not necessarily. I really was that was my Jeff Goldblum uh, <laughs> interlude more than anything else. But I did think of that. I was thinking about the girl. I felt like they were trying so hard to let everyone add their secret like they're part of the puzzle that became kind of overkill you know the where the kid does his little thing and then the, the girl it, it does the code and
2: wait, 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 wait. The, the kid does his thing what does the kid ever do besides we're getting shocked by an electrical fence the
0: kid yeah, i do don't anything. know
1: i don't know i just said that as if you wouldn't hear me say it then then the, the, that kid almost- is like so
0: slow he's like climbing he the fence and they're like come on come on he's just like taking his time and i was like you know what? Go ahead and shock him. Like, like, I don't even know really? what this kid's how, doing. How,
2: how am I the only one without <laughs> kids here? And I'm like, and I'm like, he's scared. He's on a high fence. He's like, that's what a kid. He just froze up. I don't know. I thought that little kid, honestly, I was like, I'm kind of like Dr. Grant. Like, I don't love children. People are like, here, hang out with these kids. And I'm like, mm, which car are the kids not in? I've actually done that before, where I'm the like, what car are the kids gonna be in? Great, and then I'll go sit in the other one. I feel so much for Dr. Grant that I felt like these kids. I was like, these feel like real kids, super earnest, and they just want to talk. And you'd and rather I don't really want be know, them. do anything. This, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with them. They're, it's, because they're just hate, children. it's because you
0: hate kids, Andrew, that you're thinking that all kids are Jurassic Park kids, and you're like, no, that's just what
1: kids are. That's what they do. God,
0: and I'm like, I'm like, no, these I- kids, <laughs> these kids are off. <laughs>
1: something off and I've been on set with you When you were holding a kid And I remember the awkwardness Of the holding motion And what do I do with this kid exactly so.
2: Yeah, yeah This this shouldn't be in my arms uh-huh. Someone else should take this child Yeah, I definitely re- relate very much To uh, Alan Grant And if you want to talk about Least meaningful scene I feel like my least meaningful bit Was at the end Where he's sitting with his arms Around the kids in the chopper And Ellie Sattler The great Laura Dern Is like looking at him knowingly Like, yeah, see you can like children. And I'm like, this movie is not about this at all. Why is this the final moment? <laughs> like, like, oh, you can learn how to be a dad. I'm like, no, this is about, like, nature and not messing with it. And, like, dinosaurs are huge. And our, like, final thing is like, oh, look, Alan Grant can be a dad if he wants to. Like, I was like, this is dumb. We don't need
0: this. <laughs> it is a little overly sentimental in that moment. And it should have been more like the catastrophe that just happened on the island. Um, Okay, I have some just random questions that I have for you guys before we finish up with our categories. First random question is this Have you ever said clever girl to your pets or kids?
2: <laughs> that um, was just because moment. you're asking the question, I feel like you do on a regular basis, Rob.
0: <laughs> Anytime my pet does something, my dog like gets out of its kennel and like tears stuff apart and whatever else, but like did something really smart to get there, or like finds treats that I thought there was no way you could get into, I was like, oh, clever girl. Or like you know, I remember my kid, one my daughter, one time, just finding like toothpaste, and it was just like all over the counters and that sort of stuff. And I'm like, I don't know how she climbed that high. I don't know how she wrote her name in toothpaste, but I was so impressed by it that I just want to say, clever girl. I <laughs> so feel like it's just this. Can you give us?
1: Can you give us a little context here, Rob? What scene is this? Does this happen in the movie?
2: This is so iconic. I feel like anyone who's ever seen this movie doesn't need context for this. This is like the line of the movie.
0: What's the moment, Andrew? Can you describe it? The clever girl moment?
2: The clever girl. Yeah, it's with the raptors at the end, which is so wonderfully set up when uh, Alan Grant in the beginning of the movie is like talking the kid through like how raptors hunt, which by the way, I want to get back to in a second. But it totally pays off with the hunter character going off to try and like hunt this one raptor he has him in his sights and he turns and he's been flanked by the other raptor he looks up and the other raptor is like smiling at him and he's like ah yes clever girl and then he gets eaten alive
1: and he knows what's coming he knows what's coming and he's just like ah one final shout out to the raptor before he dies he's kind of saying
0: if i gotta go i'd rather be eaten alive by a raptor like this is great like we all gotta go one time and this is my way and here we
1: go can we talk about If you're designing a dinosaur park to not put the main power station in a bunker away from everything else. (laughs) (laughs) Does seem like a design flaw. Okay, I have another random question, which is this. Shouldn't cloning be
0: further along by now? You know, growing up in the 90s, I sort of thought like by, you know, the 2020s, we'd have like clones of our own pets. Where I kind of figured there'd be a clone of myself. In the 90s, like cloning was kind of a thing. Jurassic Park comes out in 93. Ninety-seven or ninety-eight, Dolly, the first sheep clone, comes out, and I thought like cloning was the future. What robots were in the eighties? I thought cloning was in the nineties, and I sort of thought it would be a way of life. What happened to cloning? Is it just not cool anymore? Did well, they... it
1: strikes me as it strikes me as somewhat difficult to, to <laughs> actually do. I think theoretically. Which, by the way, Michael Crichton's books. If you haven't read them, they're all pretty amazing. And he does deal with cloning in a number of different books. And I think that obviously it's a lot more complicated than just the little cartoon in Jurassic Park, you know, where they had the like explanation of, and then we get the blood from the dinosaur and here's the DNA. And then we just take a frog DNA and fill in the missing blanks and boop, 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 there's a dinosaur. Like it's not exactly that easy.
0: <laughs> Which I love that scene, by the way. I think part of what makes this movie work Is scenes like that where John Hammond's like reading the cards and he's like, oh, hello, John. Hello. And he's doing the whole thing. And then the dino DNA. I remember watching the movie for the first time thinking like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. I don't know if it makes any scientific sense. But to me as a viewer, I'm like, oh, that's how they accomplished what they're trying to do. And I totally bought it. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I know you're saying it's hard to do. But we were doing it in the 90s like we cloned our first sheep and it was kind of like, that's it. We're kind of like we cloned a sheep like we did it, (laughs) you know, like that's our accomplishment.
2: There's a part of me that thinks that like maybe we had enough scientists that watched movies like this. Because any movie, any piece of media you ever see about cloning basically ends with the thesis of should we do this, though? Um, And I wonder if there's enough like weirdsmobile moral questions of should we be cloning things that it's not getting the like research dollars or like funding that it needs anymore maybe there are people asking like should we be cloning our pets should we be trying to clone each other are we playing god a little bit too much uh and so maybe just like the
0: funding's not there yeah i mean i I hear that scientists are ethical but i feel like some government somewhere or some sort of tech company somewhere is just like you know what People are going to play for clones. Let's do this. Let's, I'm not even saying like, oh, I was hoping this would happen. I just sort of thought this would be a fact of life
1: that cloning was a thing. Have you seen that they're trying to clone a mammoth, like the woolly mammoth? That was a thing a few years ago. Yes. They found.
2: I haven't heard anything about it, though. But yeah, they found like mammoth DNA and they were uh, they like cloned it and like put the embryo in like
1: an elephant. That's right. And I don't know what happened with that. Maybe it's off on an island somewhere right now. I don't <laughs> feel like we really would have heard about it if it lived. <laughs> Maybe. But again, you know, <laughs> old, old Dr. Grant didn't find out about it until it was already. Mammoth there,
2: embryo so. dies inside elephant. It doesn't make a great headline. So but, no. you know, first mammoth. Mammoth born in four million years does. So I feel like we would have heard about it if it happened. You guys, you
0: guys, you guys, I would be so bummed to like buy a ticket, get on a helicopter, go to a remote island, and then it's a mammoth. I'm like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) that's what we did. We couldn't couldn't do a dinosaur. We did a mammoth. What do you what do you got against mammoths, Rob? I mean, I mean they're fine, but like you could have done like a brontosaurus or a pterodactyl, and you did like a, a mammoth that's just like walking by really slow. And I'm like, it's
1: like okay. clever girl,
0: All like right. that's what... maybe, okay. All right,
2: here's the thing: maybe mammoths <laughs> ran really fast. You don't know. If we want to get into like critiques and things that kept bugging me during this movie, which is very magical and great, is the level of knowledge that. Both Laura Dern and Sam Neill have about Paleolithic plants and dinosaurs that there is no way that they would even possibly know. Like the idea that raptors hunt in groups and that they're super smart, like there's no possible way you would know that from like the bone structure of these animals.
1: Well, maybe though, maybe you have a tar pit with an animal that they were like a mammoth, and you have a group of raptors right there that also were pack hunting the mammoth and that was I'm mean, not I a paleontologist like, okay, so we, but I watched the paleontologists maybe you could like
2: guess that they hunt in packs but that they're the smartest like animal on the no, planet agreed, and, the, and that they would use flanking maneuvers I'm like you cannot deduce that from being like mm, look a femur in the tar pit they must have used <laughs> flanking maneuvers they must have read the art of war and learned the flanking
0: maneuver I was like there's just no no way they know half of this knowledge I feel like we're just teeing ourselves up for angry emails in this whole podcast. Like scientists are gonna come after us and tell us like what paleontologists know. Those kids' parents are gonna come after me and tell me I'm a bad person. Like we're just yeah. we're just setting ourselves up.
2: Even the thing that like the T-Rex can only see you if you move, that's a great function for being able to like get away from the T-Rex and it makes for some really cool sequences. But like again. How on earth would you know that? And and he's so he's so sure of it. Like he risks his life on it on multiple occasions. Like this T-Rex cannot see us unless we move. And he's right. But like, is, this animal's been dead for millions of years and you've only seen its skull. Like, how would you possibly know that?
1: I will say this is where Crichton is so brilliant. If you read the, the his novels, is he takes fact and he always begins the novel with usually a white paper or something that's actually a real news story. And then he slowly fictionalizes and brings in the, the science fiction part of it. But he writes the book in such a way that you buy it. You buy yeah. all the flanking of raptors and the T-Rex, whatever. And that's the brilliance of his writing. is he, he cause I agree. like It's laughable. Obviously, we can't know these things. But somehow, he convinces you by combining enough true science with fiction that you buy the fiction.
0: I've never questioned the science tips <laughs> until this episode. And so- But I think those are valid questions, but I agree. Like, what Crichton does is so great that I'm like, okay, I believe, like, oh... Of course, a T Rex couldn't see you unless you move. Like, it's a much worse movie if he's like, "Don't move!" and the T Rex eats <laughs> them all anyway. <laughs> like, that's a bad movie. Um, I would love
2: to watch that movie. <laughs> don't that, move, we're safe. That would be as funny to me as the guy getting eaten off the toilet. If one of the other scientists who like you hate, let's say, there's like a crummy scientist who's sitting there and he's like, "You can only see if so we don't move," with a <gasps> chomp! Uh, oh my god, I would. That would be. Delightful. I would love that.
1: (laughs) So, what? sorry, one more thing I want to talk about this movie is I thought the pacing of the movie was so brilliant. It was like the filmmakers would dangle something out and then not let you see it yet. And they kept doing that over and over again. Like the very first scene in the movie, you know there's something bad in this cage, but you don't see it. You see the result of it, so you know what's the premise of what's to come. Then we cut to the dig site. and the dig site, you see these how excited he gets over the bones of a dinosaur, and he hasn't even seen the dinosaur. So even more now, we want to see what's going to happen. And then we meet a Hammond, and we know that there's something on the island, and he makes the promise of what's there, but we don't get there yet. And we, we keep getting this sense of it. And then even when they get to the island, they're going to go on the tour. Remember that? And and nothing happens. Like the goat comes out and like they they get essentially skunked on the tour. They don't see a single dinosaur. And it's like another great Jeff Goldblum line,
0: like, uh John, you may want to include dinosaurs on your I love dinosaur it. tour. I love
1: it. It's like wah wah. And then even like you have this incredible action sequence later, and we cut back to you know, they're eating ice cream or whatever it was there at the table in the in the cafeteria. And it's like the pacing goes from these incredible frenetic moments to nothing or from the promise of something to not going to give it to you yet. And that kind of continues all the way through the movie, which I just think is well, phenomenal.
0: Part of what was so smart about it was going into this movie, like T-Rex, like every single person knew what a T-Rex was. Those were the big bag dinosaurs. I had never heard of a Raptor before Jurassic Park. I don't even know if Raptors are real or not. I believe they are because of Jurassic Park, but like Jurassic Park made Raptors the big bad of the movie. And so it's actually like that set piece with the T-Rex. They're like, that's bad. But that's not the worst thing you're going to face. The worst thing is a raptor. And so they actually set that up so beautifully to kind of pays off in the kitchen scene, which, again, I know I've gone after the kids. I'm sorry if you guys are listening to the podcast. You did great. But that kitchen scene is (laughs) breathtaking. It is so thrilling, so frightening. They're going. She's kind of climbing by the ladles, trying not to knock them down. The moment when she goes and is trying to pull down the cabinet and the dinosaur is coming right at her and you think she's going to be eaten and then it smashes into that, like, counter or whatever it is. Like, that is so fascinating and amazing.
1: Which you're kind of thinking a little bit in the cafeteria. Like, come on, kids, stop bumping into things. Like stop, stop knocking ladles over. Like
0: I wasn't. I was like, I would expect nothing less from these kids. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think in those situations
2: you would not knock over the ladle? Oh,
1: I would knock over every ladle. <laughs> Could you imagine the three of us? If we were
2: at Jurassic Park, which one of us gets eaten first?
0: I think it's got to be John. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just gonna say what we're all thinking which is John goes first. I think it's
2: probably John only because John would be like, "Oh my gosh, look at that dinosaur! How cool is that?" And he'd go run over to it and chomp. Um, I think he'd be like the kid in the candy store without the scientific knowledge, maybe to uh, to know that that was the one that was gonna eat him.
0: Yeah, I'm not saying I want it to be John. Like I, like no. I'm a big fan of his. He's one of my favorite people on earth. But I can just see him like, oh, man, what's happening over there? I see. (laughs) I see how it goes.
1: I see what's going to happen. Uh-huh.
2: I think I would be more like, "Mm, I don't know if the shading on that dinosaur is right. And I'd stay by the vehicle. And just because I'm a little bit of a curmudgeon, I would have the distance to, you know, be a little bit further away. I'm not saying I would survive. I just might die second.
1: All I'm saying is the three of us at Jurassic Park would not be a very long movie that that's what I was like it would be it would be an interlude it would be a here's a john williams theme and now we're done it would be a short film put it that way. do you
2: think the three of us get out of just the t rex situation alive not no, a chance
0: not a not chance, a chance. no this would be like those short films at the beginning of pixar movies where it's like a 5 minute like oh man is that a real brontosaurus and we get stepped on like it's, it's not even a bad dinosaur that kills us <laughs> it's like Isn't the, the, nice, it's, yeah. the nice it's the plant-eating dinosaur that kills. We us, eat right. we eat when the poison berries. We uh, a dinosaur that doesn't kill us. Oh, yeah. that's <laughs> hilarious. One more freaky kill I want to talk about, because I'm not sure if we'll hit it, is Dennis Nedry when he goes and he's like drives off the side of the road and then all of a sudden he's there and then he's looking for his map and he can't find which way to go and it's raining, and that like poison spitting dinosaur like climbs in the Jeep with him. That whole sequence is just frightening and amazing. And I just wanted to shout it out real quick.
2: And I think he does such a great job. I think one of the challenges in in movies like this is sometimes you want someone to get eaten by a dinosaur. Right. Like that is kind of part of the fun of it. When the guy gets eaten off the toilet, you're not thinking like, oh, no, the man got eaten off the toilet. You're like, you kind of suck. You're a lawyer who just tried to make money off of this thing and you abandoned the kids. So, yeah, get eaten off the toilet. Right. There is that sort of like moment where you kind of want people to get eaten by dinosaurs. And man, does he do just a great job of just being the worst. Every scene he's in from the very first one where he's like meeting the contact at the restaurant. He's just so awful. that He's so slimy. He's like so goofy, but he's just so slimy that you're maybe rooting for that little umbrella
1: dinosaur a little bit. No, in fact, when you're watching the movie, you're like, he's getting eaten. Like you first meet him in the restaurant in that scene and you think to yourself, mm, he's he's a red shirt, no question about it. I mean, part, part of me did think, Is this too much of a storyline for a guy who's going to get eaten? And of course, especially as the series goes on, no, it's an important part of the the whole thing. But his performance was, I thought, spectacular. And that scene does create so much tension and, and it's fun to watch. The whole thing's fun to watch.
0: He's not a most meaningful character. I want to ask you guys, who is your most meaningful character? Andrew? This surprised
2: me as I was watching it, but I think it's John Hammond for sure. Just like far and away. His performance and the way that they write his character, he is the most childish of any character in the movie he's like almost the audience avatar in a way not in the like discovery because he he knows it all so he's giving a lot of the exposition but as far as the like experiencing the wonder of the thing he's so taken by how cool is this and he doesn't really care that much about like the money side of it he's not trying to like get rich off the dinosaurs he's just like fascinated by like how cool is this that we can like see real dinosaurs in the same way that like a little kid is. And he's presented that way the whole time from the moment that you meet him in the little trailer and he's like digging through the fridge. He's like an old man, but kind of acts with the enthusiasm of like a seven year old. Um, And so I think we see the wonder of the park and everything it could be sort of through his eyes and the like fascination with how wonderful nature is through him. And then the other three characters who are seeing it for the first time, but are maybe a little bit smarter and scientists kind of pair that with the like respect for nature, but his just absolute wonder for it, I think is what sets up so much of the like inspiring awe that you get from this movie is through his eyes.
0: He is no doubt the soul of this movie. To me, he is the reason why none of the sequels work And he is the thing that makes this one work in a way none of the other movies do, which is he has this passion, this love, even when things are falling apart, like before the dinosaurs come out, when the trucks don't start on time, when the dinosaur doesn't come out. And he's so frustrated because he has this singular vision of the beauty that he wants it to be, and he sees what it wants it to be, and it falls apart. And one of my favorite scenes is when he's there with the ice cream, and he's there with Laura Dern, and he's thinking about, okay... How do we make this work? How do we make this come apart? And his grandchildren, who, like, I don't like, but he should love, are like really threatened. <laughs> and so they're out there threatened. And <laughs> I, I just keep coming after them. But, you know, like, I mean, in all seriousness, as a grandpa, like, they're threatened. Her husband is out there facing life or death. You know, they've seen. Wait, uh, they, wh- they, they're not married. Not that this they're, is important at all to what you're saying.
1: They're not married. No, because oh, they, they're not. That's why Jeff Goblin was hitting on her at the oh, yeah. end of the movie. I guess they're not married. They're together.
2: I don't even know if they're like officially together. I think they're like, they're like very flirtatious, but I don't kind think they're thing, even like officially a, a couple.
1: And I'm, I think part of it might be that he doesn't want kids and she maybe does. And that's part of the. Yeah. Danger.
2: She's, she's like his work wife. You know? Wait,
1: they're not a couple. They're a couple-ish, but uh, not really. No. Like the, a work I, don't,
2: wife, I right. don't think they're like officially a, a couple at all. I think they like have feelings for each other, but they're not like actually a couple.
0: Don't they like live in the same apartment? Weren't they Like he goes to the <laughs> champagne and he gets it. And he's like, hey, here's the champagne, and we are saving that.
1: That was a trailer, not so much an apartment, but That's like a dig site trailer. Well, they live in the desert. Well, they don't live there. That's That's like where they live.
2: No, that's like their, like, workside trailer. That's like their office.
1: They're
0: in the middle of Moab. There's nowhere else to live. They're in the middle of, like, (laughs) deep Utah. Have you been to deep Utah? Like, there's nothing else out there.
2: (laughs) So your takeaway from the champagne scene was, ah, these two archaeologists are shacking up together.
0: Yes. How could anyone have any other takeaway besides that? <laughs>
2: I think I have completely derailed this conversation, but uh I think you uh, read into that too far. I mean, I think they have feelings for each other, and I think that is the question, but I think it's a will they won't they. I don't think they're So together.
1: going back to, to his character, Hammond's character, I I did think that to me. It, John just it was,
2: abandons the thread completely. He's like, this doesn't bring, matter. I'm <laughs>
1: just trying to put the train back on the tracks, guys. You see the picture of the lawyer. His character is like, it shows a picture of greed, and then both of those characters, the lawyer and Ned, they meet their demise with the dinosaurs because they can't change. And so you do see with Hammond how he talks about the flea circus was like his first attempt, and then he has this dinosaur. And he was fighting for the park, and fighting for the park, and fighting for the park, and ultimately said when Grant said I'm not going to endorse your park and he says I'm not either you know so you do see finally where he accepts his own fate and he's willing to say this is this is not the the right answer so i think that not only are we sympathetic with him but at the end we can, can kind of say yeah he made the right choice in the end and so he gets to live essentially because he made the right choice and that ice cream scene
2: you're talking about rob like in the middle is a wonderful scene where you see the turning point for him his like mantra throughout the whole the whole movie has been spared no expense we spared no expense right he's so excited and it's this man with a ton of money that can live a childhood dream and again it's not done out of greed or ambition it's done out of like love for what if we could create this wonderful thing and the hubris of I have enough money to throw at it that we can do whatever we want and in that ice cream scene all the ice cream is melting around them and she eats it and she's like, ah, oh, this is pretty good. And for the first time in the movie, he says this, the same line again. He goes, well, we spared no expense, but you can hear that he's like now questioning everything through that line. Right. It used to be this, this point of pride of everything is great. I have all this money. Like we're going to make this great thing spared no expense. And then it's like you, you see him undercut it. And that's the last time he ever says it. Um, uh, it's like this kind of beautiful, beautiful moment.
0: And it's this meditation in the midst of like all these action set pieces And, you know, this podcast is called Meaning of the Movie and we're interested in movies that are not just like set piece, action piece, action piece, but are actually trying to say something. And it's this moment of reflection in the midst of all the carnage that you don't find in many films that I found so interesting and refreshing. Andrew, we're going to the final category, which is what is the meaning of the movie? We may have touched on this before, but this is kind of your final statement of what this movie means. So what is the meaning of Jurassic Park?
2: So I think the meaning of Jurassic Park is don't mess with nature. Nature is awesome and you should stand in awe of it, but you can't control it. You have no control over the wonderfulness that is the natural world around us and that we should stand in awe of that. But maybe we should stand back a little bit. One of the biggest critiques that I often hear leveled against Spielberg is that his endings are often very like deus ex machina where just something shows up and fixes it and the characters don't fix it and it's like oh it's all better now and we move on and i've heard that critique leveled against this movie a couple times and i've actually agreed with it in previous watches but when i was watching it this time and i was thinking about this idea of this movie is about how little control we have over the wonder of the natural world is the fact that they at the end do not save themselves from the raptors it's like the Period on the sentence. There's nothing these guys can do. They can't hack a computer well enough. They can't get the electrical system up well enough. They can't outthink the dinosaurs enough in order to overpower this situation. They are at the mercy of what is around them. And the only thing that saves them is a bigger, badder dinosaur. They are at the mercy of this monstrously wonderful act of nature. The very final kind of shot of the movie while the beautiful theme is playing is of, like, pelicans flying, which I'd never really thought about before, but he looks out the window while he's snuggling with kids for no particular thematic reason, and he sees these, like, pelicans flying, and you see him, like, kind of relax into the sense of joy, and he's been talking about how dinosaurs probably evolved into birds the whole movie. And so him looking out and seeing, like... What we just experienced turned into this wonderful thing, and here they are, free, right? Like, the world continues, and it's beautiful. The idea of ending the final shot of the movie on a pelican and not on a dinosaur or something really is, is telling of, of what they're trying to say here.
1: No question, Andrew, but but it does kind of put an exclamation point on your point when you have the T-Rex and the two raptors. And even that when that banner comes down from the ceiling that says, when dinosaurs roam the earth. And that was kind of a, a shout out to that whole idea of, look, you can't mess with nature. Although I would say maybe the meaning is somewhat different than what you're saying. And I, cause I, I think it shows both sides of like the wonder and the beauty that can happen when a science is applied. So I don't think it's a total slam on science. I think it's a little bit of a Hey, science can do amazing things, but you better be careful. And I, I think that's what was Crichton's overall like theme of most of his novels was, yeah, pretty amazing things can happen with science and technology. And so it's not saying don't advance or don't continue to do research yeah. and all that, but but just do it with a, a sense of caution and and awe and know what you're getting into. So I would I would agree with you on that.
2: I don't think this is saying anything against advancement or science. It's so wrapped up in this awe and inspiration, right? That Jurassic Park theme, that beautiful John Williams score, right? It's so wondrous. It's encouraging you to, I guess, like step back and admire and be awed by how tiny you are Mm -hmm. in the wonderfulness of the natural world and that you don't have power over it. And so you should experience it and engage with it and love it, but you don't have power over it. And I think that's kind of what it's saying. I don't think it's saying anything against like scientific advancement or anything. I don't think it's coming out against that.
1: That's great. So Rob, what would you say the meaning of the movie is you're probably gonna say it's a parenting movie, but.
0: So this is a parenting movie. (laughs) All right, here's the thing, Andrew, John, I've seen this movie 30 times, 40 times, 50 times. I didn't realize what it was until I watched it for this podcast. And this movie is Frankenstein. That is the meaning of the movie. This is a movie about a guy who has this amazing idea of creating something that he has no respect for, has no understanding of what the power of it is, and just is like, okay, can I do this thing? And John Hammond is Frankenstein in this movie. Not Frankenstein the creature, but Frankenstein the scientist, the mad scientist, who is like, I'm going to create this thing. And I'm going to build it. And I don't care what it takes to do. I don't care what it costs. I don't care who it hurts. I just want to see if I can do it. And his passion and energy and zeal for like his vision is what makes this movie work. And it's the reason why it's the only good dinosaur movie ever made is because, yes, it's about the dinosaurs. But most of all, it's about this kind of Frankenstein journey where he wants to build something. And then it's slowly coming out of control. And he keeps trying to grab control. And it keeps getting worse and people are stabbing in the back. But ultimately his monster that he makes and this beautiful scientific creation that he makes comes up and starts tearing the world apart around him. And that's the meaning of the movie. It really is a modern tank on a Frankenstein tale. And this could be a CEO. This could be a creator. This could be a pastor. It's all sorts of different kind of like visionaries who have their vision so strong and are like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make this vision happen. And I don't care who I hurt. And I don't care what the collateral damage is.
2: But in contrast to these other hubris CEOs or even how you kind of imagine Dr. Frankenstein, he's not like devil may care. I don't care who I hurt, though he doesn't. His focus is so wrapped up and so vocally wrapped up in look how truly wonderful this is. And he's like a Disneyland creator. He's like a Disney. What if we could bring all this magic to mankind, this magic to kids, right? His hubris is wrapped up in something that is truly benevolent which I don't think we normally see from the, like, Dr. Frankenstein analog.
0: This movie is concerned with, like, Walt Disney. It's concerned with Steve Jobs, even before Steve Jobs became Steve Jobs. Like, it's that sort of, like, visioneer who's going to make something happen, no matter what how it affects and changes the world. It's just, like, I have a vision. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to see it come true. And the way it all, like, the collateral damage of it is what's really fascinating. Yeah, Other movies try to hint at it of like the hubris of the companies or whatever else. But John Hammond's embodiment of it is what makes this one work more than any other Jurassic Park film that will come before or since or any other dinosaur movie that will probably ever
1: be made in my lifetime. And that, friends, is why we love Rob Stennett right there.
0: All right, fellas. Well, thank you so much. Good job. We did it. Any movies you want to recommend? Any other ones like Along the Lines of Jurassic Park?
2: I would recommend the new Matt Reeves Planet of the Apes trilogy. I touched on it a little bit earlier in the podcast. This is a sort of science creating a augmented nature movie in the same way that Jurassic Park is. But that is concerned with the creation and is concerned with the ethics of doing something new and how the natural world uh, knits itself together. Um, and there's a ton of like heart and wonder in that whole series, really. In um, what does it mean to sort of exist as a species on the planet? And monkey movies sort of get like a weird rap. And I think most of the focus in those movies came out was on the like motion capture CG technology. But they're actually beautiful, beautiful stories. And I uh, cannot speak highly enough about them. I'm an evangelist for those movies. And I think if you like the original Jurassic Park, you actually really love all three of the new Matt Reeves Planet of the Apes movies.
0: Yeah, those movies have something pretty amazing, which is a decent James Franco performance. And so if you want to marvel at that, <laughs> he's uh, he's only he's he's only in the first one because the protagonist is actually not the humans. It's the monkey. Yeah. First one has James Franco, John Lithgow. And it, I love those movies. And I think that's a great recommendation. Really, really good. Yeah. I would say Jurassic World Dominion. That's part of the reason we want to do it for this podcast is because that's coming out. And so listen to this podcast, go see that movie and let us know what you think of both.
2: If you like Jurassic Park, you might like Jurassic Park Dominion. We don't know, but we certainly hope so.
0: We're pulling for it hard. Hot take on this podcast. I hope it's not a bad trip to Vegas. I hope this is the one time you go a trip to Vegas and it finally hits for you. Right on. All right. Well, that is the end of today's podcast. John, great
1: job. Hey, it was uh, was fun to revisit Jurassic Park. Hopefully, if you haven't seen it in a long time, you get to rewatch it, force your kids to watch it with you if you're the same age I am.
2: I did not realize that you were just like throwing that one to John. I thought you were like, good job on the podcast. Good job, John. Period. (laughs) Andrew, you were fine.
0: I, I was throwing it to John. I was like, "Hey, uh, two thirds of us did great today." Uh, you know, John may die first
2: in the park, but uh, Andrew needs to shape up his podcast game.
0: Andrew, great job to you too. You did great.
2: Oh, thanks. Appreciate it.
0: All right, we so appreciate you listening. Thanks for going on this journey with us. Remember, you can subscribe, review, shoot us an email, join us on Facebook. This podcast is more than a conversation between us. We love having a conversation with you, so engage somehow. Until then, we'll see you next time on The Meaning of the Movie.